Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to First Free Church. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. My name is Adam. If you're new here, one of the pastors, and we are going to study God's Word today. I hope you've had a great time worshiping Him through the singing this morning, and now we get to worship God through studying His Word. And we're in a series right now called Parables, where we're working through many of the parables of Jesus. There's a lot of them, so we're not even going to cover all of them in this, and some of them have kind of the same meaning, but we're going to cover a lot of them. And so if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open that if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 is where we're going to be at today, and want to welcome all of those who are watching online right now as well. I know many of you are still doing that. That's totally fine. You can join us there, join us here, wherever you are at. It's great for you to have your Bible open while we're doing these teaching times, because I know it's on the screen, and you can read it on there, and that's helpful for for maybe those of you that, that forgot or something, but if you can't have the Bible in front of you and be looking at that while we're going through this, it means that you are going to be able to see stuff other people don't see. You're going to spot the big picture and be able to make connections and maybe even identify some application points that God has for you that didn't even make their way into the message. So this is not just a time to sit and be passive and listen. This is a time to actively dig into God's word together and study it together. So uh, before we get into this text, why don't we just take a moment and pray together and ask God to give us his insight into what we're about to study. Father, thank you for this time that we have, that we can come here publicly and openly and worship you and study your word. And and my prayer, God, is that it would be fresh to us this morning, that there would be something new in here for us that we would see that maybe we've never seen before. Something that we can take and apply in our life this week, something that helps us to better understand you, to understand our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to push to the side all of the distractions of the week. And I know there are many things that are weighing heavy on our hearts right now. Things that, that threaten to keep our eyes off of you. But God, this is a time for us to just focus on you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to do that. The Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come illuminate the word of God to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're in Luke chapter 11 already, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place, praying. That probably means he had a special place he liked to go. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, have you ever noticed that when we pray, we kind of get into certain rhythms? Like there are habits that we have when we pray, certain things that we say a lot. Like some of you say in your prayers, Father, a lot as you pray, or you know people that do that, right? And there are thousands of those things, little habits that we have, regular things that we do when we pray, we just sort of slip into. And that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just, we get into prayer rhythms. And, and one of those prayer rhythms, I would call a prayer tell. You know, a tell, like when you're playing poker, there's a tell that lets you know, okay, they're, they've got a good hand, they've got a bad hand. And a prayer tell is when someone says something that lets you know they're about to wrap up. Are you familiar with these? There are certain people that you just know, oh, he said that phrase. He said, bless us as we go our way. That's it. That's the phrase. We're about to be done, right? I know this sounds unspiritual, but it's just the reality. Let's be honest, okay? We ask it all in Jesus. Oh, that's it. That's the key. I know we're almost done. I know it sounds unspiritual, but the truth is sometimes you're sitting there when someone is praying and your stomach is growling and your leg is bouncing and you're like, all right, this has gone on long enough. When are we going to wrap this up? And you hear one of those phrases and you go, oh, thank goodness. I'm so hungry. I'm, I'm speaking about myself here too. Pastors are the worst at this, right? And pastors do something even 
worse than that. Pastors give you false tells. <laughs> Pastors, when they're wrapping up a message and they go into their closing prayer, sometimes, and I probably shouldn't even be telling you this because now you're gonna spot it when I do it and I have done it. But sometimes in the middle of our prayer, we realize we forgot a point. And then we realize we're still talking. We may not be talking to you, we're talking to God, but we can talk to God and still communicate something to you. And so we preach another mini sermon in the prayer. And there have been times, even recently, I will admit it, when I have realized in the middle of my prayer, there was an important point that I forgot to give. And right as we're wrapping up and we're giving you that tell, we start to realize and we go, Lord, thank you so much for this time we've had together. Be with us as we go our way and help us remember, God, that point that we didn't get to today about the gospel and your substitutionary atonement and we can just go on and on. And you're like, hey, buddy, does your train have a caboose? I'm ready to get out of here. Let's, let's get moving. Pastors can be the worst at that. I don't know how Jesus prayed exactly. Um, and even when Jesus teaches how to pray, that doesn't mean that's exactly how he prayed. But the disciples spent a lot of time with him. And so they no doubt picked up on some of these rhythms that he had the way that he prayed. I'm sure it was different than they ever heard anybody pray before. And they probably knew when he was about to wrap up with his prayer. So as he was finishing here, the disciples probably recognized that he was about done. And so one of them came over to him and said, hey, could you teach us how to pray like that? What you're doing, we wanna learn how to do that. And hey, John taught his disciples how to pray. And the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus, they hung out sometimes. In fact, some of the disciples of John are ones that in the gospels ask Jesus questions and wanna know about things, wanna know about differences between John's followers and Jesus' followers. Some of Jesus' disciples used to be John's disciples and they left John to go follow Jesus. So there's interaction between them. And here the disciples of Jesus are saying, hey, John taught his followers how to pray. Would you teach us as well? And what a great question to ask, right? I mean, there's no better person that you could ask how to pray than Jesus. And there's no better person for us to learn from as well. And what Jesus is going to do next is he's going to give them a bit of a prayer template to show them how they should pray. And prayer is so important for us in the life of a believer. It's something we, we need to pay more attention to. Um, prayer is is critical to our spiritual walk. It's critical to our interaction with each other. It's, it's how, how we can communicate with God and ask things of him and ask him to speak into our lives. Warren Wiersbe said this about prayer, and I agree with him. He said, our living is only good as our praying. No Christian rises higher than his prayer life. No matter what problems we face, if we know how to pray, then God has the solution. All the saints of God in the Bible and in church history were men and women of prayer. The early church got its spiritual power from prayer. If you and I can improve our prayer life and the prayer life of our church, then we will see God work in wonderful ways. I totally believe that. Prayer is absolutely a critical part of our individual life and our life together. One of the places you see that the most is in our groups where we have a small group of people that's gathering to pray about the things that matter to them that's going on in their life right now, interceding on each other's behalf and asking God to step in in a powerful way. We need to be a people of prayer and a church of prayer. No Christian rises higher than their prayer life, Warren Wearsby said. And I've certainly found that to be true in my life. The times where my spiritual walk has been driest and I felt less of a connection with God have been the times when I look back and I realize, wow, I, I neglected my prayer life. 
Maybe not that I stopped praying altogether, but it wasn't with the same kind of focus and intentionality. I didn't approach it thinking, all right, we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna go pray and spend some time in it. Maybe I just prayed for my food for a while and didn't actually spend focused time in prayer with God. And then on the other hand, those deepest times of relationship with God are the times when I would say I had the strongest prayer life. No Christian rises higher than their prayer life. So the disciples are right to ask this. They need to learn better how to pray. And Jesus is gonna give them this prayer template that I mentioned. He says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Now, this may be different than the version that you're familiar with, depending on how recently you became familiar with it. Many of us are familiar with an older English translation about give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's the same thing, just a different translation. This one's a little more easier for modern readers to understand. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's not a prayer that Jesus would have prayed because Jesus did not need to ask for forgiveness of sins. This is his template, his pattern that he is teaching to his disciples to say, here's how you should pray. And I've actually taught on this relatively recently, so I'm not gonna go into great detail on this prayer. But I want you to have the context in the background for the parable that we're about to go through because it all has to do with prayer. This is the setup. The disciples have asked Jesus for teaching on prayer. Jesus has just given him his pattern of prayer, his template for prayer. And there's a lot more that Jesus taught them probably that we don't even have. This is a summary of Jesus' teaching. Matthew has little different bits about the same teaching time that we don't have in Luke. And Luke has some things that Matthew doesn't have. And John said at the end of his gospel, if everything Jesus did was written down, there wouldn't be enough libraries in the world to hold all the books that would have to be written. So there's a lot that Jesus did that we don't even know about. And my sincere hope is that when we get to heaven, there's gonna be like a Netflix documentary service for going back through history and seeing all the stuff we didn't get. And God's just gonna be like, here you go, here's the password and you can get in and see all the stuff in history. And go, oh my goodness, that's what really happened. That'll be amazing. That's total side point. That's not even in the notes. That's just my thing. I, I want to know more about this stuff. But thankfully, we do have a little bit more about Jesus teaching on prayer and it comes in the form of a parable. It's in the next verse, verse five. Teaching them more about prayer. He, Jesus, used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to eat, nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, Jesus says, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Some versions say shamelessness, your shameless persistence. Now this parable is very unique because in this parable, Jesus actually puts the listener in the place of the story. Usually he doesn't do that. Usually he just tells a story about imaginary people. But here the parable is suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. He wants you to imagine that you're the one in need of help. You're the one that showed up at a friend's house and he won't help you. Now, it's not hard to imagine not having enough food for an unexpected guest. After all, they didn't have refrigeration. So if you're at the end of a food cycle, you may just not have any food on hand for them. But uh, you recognize, because you've been around the house all day, you smell during the day that your neighbor was baking bread. You know that smell of fresh baked bread? 
Isn't that an amazing smell? I just love fresh bread. And you can smell that because he was baking it earlier right next door. So you know that he's got food. It's also not unimaginable that a guest would show up unexpected like this. What was he going to do? Text to let you know he's coming? It's faster for him to just walk to you than it is to try to send a letter ahead of time. So sometimes guests would just show up unannounced and you had to always be ready to receive guests into your home. And, and maybe you wouldn't have food for them because you didn't happen to have any on hand at the time, but you know that your neighbor does. And in these Jewish communities, hospitality was incredibly important. We know nothing of hospitality today compared to what they used to do in Bible times and, and what many cultures still practice around the world, especially in the Middle East. Hospitality is a big, big thing. And community support is a big thing. Helping your neighbor out is a big thing. In these little Jewish communities, it's not like everyone has everything. They have to borrow from each other. They, you know, one person might have this thing and one person might have that thing. And so they're constantly helping each other out. And it would be absolutely shameful for you with a friend that showed up to not be able to find something to feed them after a long journey. And it would be just as shameful for the man next door to refuse to get out of bed and give you some food for your friend. In fact, it would probably be so shameful that it would be on the morning news the next day. And by that, I mean the gossip chain. The people would be talking about this. They would be saying, can you believe what happened last night when Jim went to Bob's house because he had a friend in town and Bob wouldn't even get out of bed? No offense to the Bobs in our church. I just had to pick some names. He wouldn't get out of bed. He wouldn't give him any food. Can you believe it? And it would bring shame on this man who did not get up and provide some food. It would also bring shame on the whole community. This was a community thing. They were supposed to be hospitable together. And so the whole community would feel shame because they were inhospitable to a guest. And they might even have a reputation that would form because of this if it's happened more than once. Hospitality was a big deal to them. And this story that Jesus tells is shocking to the disciples. That's why he says, suppose you, not suppose someone. It's like, imagine how you would feel if you were in this circumstance and someone refused to provide some food for your friend who had just shown up unexpectedly. And the disciples are probably feeling a little upset at this point. Like just kind of burns a little bit. Like, are you serious? No one would do that. No one would refuse this. No one would be so careless. I mean, just the shame that it would bring upon them. This, this is an honor shame culture here. No one would refuse that. This is unthinkable selfish. It's the cardinal sin. Certainly not a very good friend. But Jesus goes on, technically after the parable's over, he's told the parable, and then he says, suppose that you don't give up. You keep on knocking, you keep on asking. And eventually, at some point, this guy inside realizes that you're going to wake up the neighbors, you're going to wake up his kids, you're going you're to cause everyone to know that he's not helping you because you don't stop. You could just stop and walk away, but you keep on knocking. And so not because of your friendship, Jesus says, but because of your what? Shameless persistence. He will get up and he will help you. One scholar translates it brazen tenacity. I'm just going to keep on going. The gospels were recorded for us, or what we have today is in the Greek language, old Koine Greek but that's not what Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke typically Hebrew and Aramaic, probably mostly Aramaic. We don't know when exactly he spoke either one, but we do have words recorded from him in Hebrew and in Aramaic. If he was speaking in Hebrew at this time, the word that he might've used here, one scholar thinks is chutzpah. You know chutzpah, right? 
It can be good, it can be bad, but it's, it's chutzpah. It's like, wow, he's got some chutzpah. He's got some brazen tenacity. He just keeps on going and doesn't give up no matter what happens. And that may very well be the word, if he was speaking Hebrew at the time, that Jesus used to describe this man who keeps on knocking. And then Jesus says, so I tell you, in verse nine, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. And this is really confusing, isn't it? Because doesn't it seem like Jesus is saying that God is the stingy man in the house who's laying down and resting and he doesn't want to get up and help and you've got to keep on pounding on that door and eventually he's going to give you what you want. Some people interpret this parable that way. And they think, I just got to keep on asking. I got to keep on knocking. That's what Jesus said. And if I keep on asking, eventually I'm going to wear God down. I'm going to pester him enough. He's going to give me what I want. I'll get that new car. I just got to keep pestering him enough. It's like kids can do to us, right? Kids can really wear you down. Can I have it? No. Can I have it? No. Can I have it? No. Can I have it? Okay, fine. Just stop whining. Anybody ever had that experience? We have this thing in our house called whining is an automatic no. We learned it from someone else. And so if you whine about something, even if the circumstance changes where we would have said yes because you whined, it's no. If you can be consistent with that, it really cuts down on the whining. Whining is an automatic no. But many people think that this is what we're supposed to do with God. And it comes back to this parable in Jesus' teaching afterward. If you just keep on asking Keep on knocking like the man in the house. Eventually, God's going to give you what you want. And Jesus kind of addresses this idea in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew records the same stuff Luke is recording here in Luke 11. It's the same incident, but he gives different information. So Luke has some things Matthew doesn't have. Matthew has some things Luke doesn't have. And here's some teaching that Matthew records for us. Jesus said, when you pray... Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Okay, so which is it? Are we supposed to ask over and over again to get what we want so we'll finally wake God up and he'll come to the door and give us what we, what we think we need? Or are we not supposed to repeat it over and over again as the Gentiles do? Because God already knows what we need before we ask him. What are we supposed to do here? How do we make sense of this parable that Jesus is telling? There's a concept in rabbinical thought called light and heavy. Everybody say light and heavy. Thank you very much. Light and heavy can also be referred to as from lesser to greater. Or another way to put it is how much more. Uh, a rabbi or a teacher might share an extreme version of something, an example, a parable, an illustration, to contrast that with something that is so much better or far different than what that was, and it's from light to heavy, from lesser to greater. How much more is this? Jesus does this a lot. He does this in the next chapter of Luke. When he says, look at the ravens, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Even though the birds are lesser, God has designed a system to make sure that they are cared for and fed. And if God cares so much for these birds, which are nor near as important, how much more does God care for you as a human being that he created with a soul in his image 
so much more special than the birds. It's a how much more statement. Here's another one a few verses later. This is 1227. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, King Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? These are how much more teachings from lesser to greater, the light and the heavy. And if you bring that understanding to this parable, you will see that what Jesus is doing here is not saying that God is the stingy man in the house. What he's actually saying is God is not like the stingy man in the house. This is an argument from the light to the heavy, from the lesser to the greater. One Bible scholar put it this way. The parable does not invite rudeness in praying any more than it suggests that God is asleep. The parable does not teach that God is a friend, nor that a hearing is certain if we weary God through continual prayer. The parable addresses the implied question, will God respond to prayer? And argues as follows. If among humans, a request is granted, even when or because it is rude, how much more will your heavenly father respond to your requests? You see, The point of the parable is not that God is the man resting in the house who's uncaring and unkind and who has to be woken up and disturbed and pestered enough to get him to finally wake up and come to the door and open it and give you what you need. That is not God at all. The point of the parable is that God is nothing like that. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to respond to your requests. He wants to open the door to you. And that's why Jesus says in the very next verse, in verse 10, he says, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. But isn't this still just a little bit confusing? Don't you walk away with a couple of questions? One of the questions that I have here is, why does Jesus tell us then to keep asking? If everyone who asks receives, and everyone who knocks, the door is opened to everyone who seeks finds, then why do I have to ask more than once? Why does Jesus say, keep on asking, seeking, and knocking, that's one question. The other question is, why isn't he answering me right now? If everyone who asks receives, why isn't he answering the thing that I've been praying for over and over and over again, and he still hasn't responded as far as I know? Why? Let's tackle these in order. In the parable, Jesus mentioned shameless persistence or maybe brazen tenacity. Maybe he even used the word chutzpah. My kids like to go on these things they call daddy dates. Daddy dates are a lot of fun. It's when we go out to a restaurant and maybe we do some fun activity together. And, and thankfully in St. Louis, there's no shortage of things that you can do with your kids cheap or completely free. And it's awesome. But if I take them on a daddy date, shortly after that, on the same day or maybe the next morning, I'm going to get this question. Dad, when's our next daddy date? It's like, we just had one. Yeah, but I want to know about the next one. In fact, this very week at dinner, they asked me to pull out my phone and open my calendar so they could look and find the day where the next daddy date is scheduled. Evidently, they don't trust me. They want to make sure it's on the calendar. Recently, they've come up with something new. It's called daddy talk time. Now, that's different than a daddy date. A daddy date is where we go to a restaurant and we talk and then we do some fun activity together. Daddy talk time is where we just go somewhere in the house and we talk for a while. So we have daddy dates and we have daddy talk time. And my older kids absolutely love this. 
And they wish we could do it all the time. And we do it a lot and it's a lot of fun. I love it. Not a day goes by, I think, where one of them does not bring up, hey, when's our next daddy date? When's our next daddy talk time? When are we gonna be able to do this again? Which is obviously incredibly sweet. And I absolutely love the relationship that I have with my kids. And I love those times that we have together, but I have a small confession to make. If they were not so persistent in asking me about them, we probably would not have as many daddy dates. If they were not so tenacious in bringing it up again and again, as much as I love them, as much as I love to do them, we might not do it as much. Because as much as I love spending time with them one-on-one, it's their tenacity and bringing it up over and over. And, And really what it is, it's pursuing a relationship with me. They're not just trying to get something. They want to spend time together. And and that's what allows us to go deep because I know they value it. They value that relationship. They value their time with me. As long as they're not whining and nagging, they're just asking politely and sweetly. The more they ask, to be honest with you, the more daddy dates we're probably gonna go on. And I'm just now realizing in real time that I told that to my kids on video. They're probably going to watch this at some point and be like, aha, we got them. I know it's not always necessarily going to be this way. I know that there are seasons of life. But part of how I know that they love me and value our our time together in a relationship with me is because of that brazen tenacity that they have to bring it up over and over again. That's that persistence. And I think that is a small picture of what God wants from you and from me. He wants us to pursue him. He wants to help us. He wants to open the door for us, but he wants us to pursue him and to value that time together and that relationship and to value his help, to recognize that we need his help and to not stop asking for it. Even if we don't get it at some point, he wants us to keep asking, not because there's some magic formula to this, where if we keep asking again and again and again, he's gonna finally give in, but because we value him and we value his help and and input into our life and we want him to speak into our life. We want him to help us. We need him. There's a different motivation there. I remember... um, one little boy told me at one point that he had figured out that if he asked his mom for something seven times, she gave in. That was the magic number, seven times. It's not what God's looking for, for us to ask again and again and again so that finally we'll hit the magic number and he'll be weary enough to get up out of bed and come get us what we need. That's not it at all. He wants us to pursue him and pursue a relationship with him, to have faith in him that he's going to help us. Brad Young writes, faith in God is the basis of prayer Faith can be viewed as determined persistence. An aspect of our faith is that we continue to believe that God is there and wants to help us and is able to help us even if we haven't experienced that help yet. And so we keep asking. He says, true faith focuses on an awareness of what God is like. What is God like? Jesus says, everyone who asks, receive. God wants to help. He wants to open the door to us. And yes, he wants us to keep asking. Now, if the goal of my children is simply to get things out of me, then all of their asking isn't really going to merit much because I'm not going to value that as much. I can kind of see through that. But if the goal of my children is I want to spend time with you, I'm honestly going to be more likely to give them things, right? Because they value that relationship that we have. And and, and the gifts that I give them are not based on them whining or nagging or trying to get something from me. It's based on me saying, hey, I love you so much. I want to give you something that's going to make you feel special and, and loved. And honestly, I think we are, we are modeled after our heavenly father and we can learn a lot from that relationship. God can certainly see through our asking more than we can. And if we're asking for things with the wrong motives, the wrong priorities, he's gonna know, obviously. 
And so we need to pursue God with tenacity. Don't give up. Be persistent in asking, seeking, and knocking. What about that second question? I've been asking for something for a long time now and God still hasn't answered. Have you ever felt like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling? You could be praying for something for years and years and you still see no response from it. I keep seeking, I keep knocking. I've been asking for this. Maybe it's a new car. I've been asking for a new car and asking and asking and I've still got the old drunker I had last week. Or maybe it's a long-term relationship. I just wanna be with someone and I keep asking God and praying about it, but I'm still lonely. Or maybe I've been praying and praying and praying that God would help me ace that test. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and I got to see. Where was God in the middle of all of that? You could come up with a, a million different scenarios like this and you can think of one that's personal to you. And I think part of the problem here is that the way we use the word need and the way God uses the word need are, are different views of the word need. What we think we need when we come to God or what we think we need when we tell other people, I need a new car, I need this, I need that is not the way God uses the word need. Jesus said that God knows what we need before we ask him. But in his prayer template, he said, not give us a new car, not give us a new house. I guess back then, give us a new chariot, a new donkey. He says, give us this day our daily bread or give us the food that we need for the day. God's idea of what we need and our idea of what we need are two different things. A lot of the things that we call needs are really wants. They're nice to haves. They make life a little bit easier. Not having them is a little bit inconvenient, but technically we can live without them. They're not a need, they are a want. Now God does care about our wants and needs. He does. That's why Jesus says a little bit later, your fathers, if, you, if, you, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, there's a how much more statement again, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Remember Matthew and Luke record some different elements of this. So evidently Jesus said more than this as well that Luke summarized. Matthew says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now you'll notice that Luke records this a little differently than Matthew. In Luke's version, it says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? That was something that still had not come yet. And so Jesus was saying, hey, this is one of the things you can pray for and God's gonna give it to you. By the way, not right away. In fact, not until after Jesus had died would the Holy Spirit come. And so they could ask for it, they could pray for it, and God would give it to them, but not right away. And in Matthew, we see that it's not just about the Holy Spirit. God loves to give good things, good gifts to his children. He's not gonna give bad gifts to us. So that leaves us with a question. If everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks has an open door, and if God doesn't give bad gifts to his children, but loves giving good gifts to them, then why is all my seeking and all my knocking not working right now? And I want to make a suggestion with an illustration. If my kids got their way, we would have ice cream for every meal and we would play video games all day long. Now, I know that that's not going to be very fun for them for very long. But they may think if we had an entire week of that, it would be amazing. 
I know that after probably just a couple of meals of that, they're not going to want any more. They're going to feel sick. And Jenny and I are going to have an even harder time. But they think that's going to be the best thing in the world. See, I tend to know what my kids need more than they do. I know better what is good for them and what is not good for them. What they think they need and what I know they need are two very different things. And there are many times where my kids will ask me or Jenny for something and we will tell them no, not because we don't love them, not because we don't care about them, not because they can never have it, not because we want them to whine enough and beg enough so that we'll finally give in, but because we know it won't be good for them. It won't be a good gift. And in that moment, they may be frustrated with us and they may not understand it. But in that moment, we know better typically than they do what is good for them in the big picture. What if God is not giving you something you're asking for because he knows it's not good for you? Not because he's stingy, not because he's uncaring, but he knows that right now it's not a good gift. He loves to give us good gifts. And if he's not giving you something that you're asking for, perhaps it's because it's actually not good for you. Maybe he's trying to teach you something that he wants you to learn. Maybe he knows that if you get that right now, it's going to cause you to be prideful. Maybe it's because if you get that, it's going to ruin some of your relationships. Maybe it's because he's got some things he wants you to grow in before you can have that type of a thing. And the situation may change along the way, right? You're going to grow. You're going to mature. Things are going to change And it's possible that some of the things that you asked for in the past and God said no to, he's going to say yes to in the future. Maybe it's not the right time yet. If the disciples had stopped and prayed that day for the Holy Spirit to be given, they would have had a no answer. But that wasn't always going to be a no answer. Before long, it was going to be a yes answer. What if there are things, and this may be especially relevant to some of us here watching online right now. What if there are things that we used to pray and ask God for, and he told us no at one time, and we gave up asking, but it's actually a good thing, and and if we asked today, he would say yes. Just a thought. There may be certain things, and it, it could be anything, where we don't have something good that God would love to give us because we haven't asked. James says you don't have because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. And so maybe, just maybe, it's time to start asking again, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, understanding that God may still say no because he's not gonna give you a bad gift. But to be persistent, not as someone who's whining or complaining, not with the wrong motives involved, James touches on that there, but to be persistent and ask God because he wants to help us and then trust him with the outcome. Lord, if this is still not good for me, if this is still not a good gift, then I don't want it. But maybe things have changed and maybe now would be okay, I'm gonna ask for it again because if I don't ask, then maybe you're just not gonna give it. That's what the Bible teaches us. I know I've used my kids a lot in this message, uh, but it's such a perfect analogy to how God views us. I mean, he is our heavenly father after all. We are his children. And so the father-kid relationship is just such a perfect analog to this. And as they grow older and over older, there are things today that if they ask, Jenny and I will say yes to that a year ago we would not have said yes to. There are things that we used to say no to that now it will be okay because of how old they are. Now, of course, they have to ask politely. They can't do it in a naggy and whiny way. We want them to do it with the right motives. But as time moves on, situations change, people grow. And so maybe, just maybe, it's time to ask God again. So here's an action point for us that I think comes out of this. Not to try to wear God down, but to humbly and politely approach him 
maybe with something that we have given up on for a long time. And it could be a lot of different things. It could be an opportunity to share the gospel with someone that you used to pray for and you just sort of gave up on them. And now there's an opportunity for you to go share the gospel with them if you will just ask God to make it clear to you. And so ask God for things that maybe you've given up on. Maybe it's a resource that you can use for God. Maybe it's a relationship that is soured and you've just kind of given up on it. And ask God for, for, for a restoration of that relationship fresh. There are things that we give up on that I think God wants to step in and help us with, but we stop asking, seeking, and knocking. And pursue him with brazen tenacity. Don't give up. Now that, I don't know who that's for exactly, but I trust that there are people in this room right now or watching online right now who needed that message today. And there are probably some other people who are listening to all of this and it's not as applicable to them because they don't even really have a relationship with God. They haven't spent much time asking God for things. And if that's you, if you just happen to cross this stream online or if you're in the, the room right now or whatever it is, I want you to know that we want you to have that deep relationship with God a heavenly father who loves you and cares about you and wants to help you through life, wants to be your guide. And so if you have questions about that and want to learn more, our prayer team is gonna be up front at the end of this service, or you can use our online connect form at efree.org slash connect. And you can let us know, and we would love to talk with you about what a relationship with God means and how he can be that helper in your life. Not the stingy old man that's uncaring and unkind, but how much more will God give good gifts to those who love him and pursue him and trust in him? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we know that you are good and you know what's good for us even when we don't. And I will confess there have been so many times in my life where I have asked for things with brazen tenacity and then when they didn't happen, I have struggled to have faith with the outcome. And my prayer for us today is that we would learn not to do that. That we would understand that sometimes you're gonna say no, or you're gonna say, not now, wait. It's not for you at this time. But that doesn't mean we should give up. We should keep pursuing you. We should have that brazen tenacity. We should keep asking with the faith that you will tell us no if the answer needs to be no. Help us to accept the answer. And in Jesus' name I pray.